tapestry of Cherokee mythology is heavily threaded with tales of supernatural horrors and ravenous beasts, a host of nightmarish creatures that preyed upon their anxieties and fears. Towering above them all was a class of malevolent entities known as the Sunai Idahi, the invisible night-goers. The night-goers would come out after sunset, invading the homes of the sick and ailing with the sinister intention of harrying them into an early grave. Within this pantheon of evil and predatory beings, the most feared was the Kalanu Akeliski, the Raven Mocker. The Raven Mocker was so awful that its presence alone would inspire panic even amongst the ranks of other nightgoers. They would flee in terror at the sound of its call, which mimicked the call of a raven that is executing a swift dive. The Raven Mocker was said to have the appearance of an aged and skeletal human being, usually with long matted hair and eyes that glowed like hot embers. These demonic spirits were essentially immortal, continuously lengthening their own lifespan by stealing their victims' remaining years. This was accomplished by devouring the heart of their unfortunate prey which they could deftly remove from the chest cavity without even breaking the skin. The hapless victim would suffer agonizing torment and abuse at the hands of the invisible monster, often right in front of their loved ones, until they eventually perished from exhaustion and fright. The victim's grieving family might easily mistake the violence of the creature's repeated assaults for the convulsions and palsy of the afflicted person's ailments, resulting in their unwitting complicity in the passing of a loved one. The Cherokee had only one defense against the predation from the dreaded Raven Mocker, the keen eye of a medicine man who possessed the medicine of seeing invisible spirits. Cherokee legend states that if a Raven Mocker is seen by a mortal man, its unnaturally long life will come to an end within the next seven days. A potential victim's family would often have a medicine man come to their dwelling and keep watch over the sick in bed, ready to spot any raven mockers who might come sneaking in to steal the ailing person's heart. As an added precaution, a medicine man might also make use of a trap that consisted of four sharp stakes and a large amount of sacred tobacco. Our intrepid spiritual hero would plant the stakes outside all four corners of the house with the pointed side aimed at the sky and then join them with lines drawn in sacred tobacco. He would also light his pipe, then blow the smoke throughout the interior of the home. The line on the ground acted as a magical tripwire if an unwary Ravenmocker were to cross the magical line, the closest stake would pop explosively out of the forest floor and plummet down on the marauding fiend like a spear, impaling the creature and ending it instantly. 
As a side note, it's worth mentioning that the lesser nightgoers were known to dig up the grave of a dead Ravenmocker, and at long last, take their revenge by abusing the corpse, often tearing it to pieces in the hysterical fever of their jealous rage. The Ravenmocker was hated almost as much as it was feared by its fellow witches. The raw terror inspired by this mythical monster was very, very real. The far-off call of a diving raven near dusk was enough to send the most hardened Cherokee warriors scrambling for shelter. They truly and deeply feared this ethereal boogeyman over all others. This raises an interesting question. Why exactly did the Cherokee consider the Ravenmocker to be the worst of the worst? Their days and nights were already beleaguered by a variety of dangers, both real and imagined. So why did the nocturnal villainy of the Ravenmocker create so much fear and anxiety? To answer that question, it might be helpful to delve a little deeper into the history of the Cherokee Nation, and by extension, the origins of their myths and legends. Most historians agree that the Cherokee originated as a Proto-Iroquoian tribe that migrated south from the Great Lakes region to the southeastern woodlands. The exact time period of their arrival has been disputed, with some archaeologists considering pre-contact Cherokee to be part of the later Pisgah phase of southern Appalachia, while others maintain that the ancestors of the Cherokee Nation inhabited North Carolina and eastern Tennessee for several thousand years prior to this date. There are recorded conversations between 19th century researchers and tribal elders that indicate the Cherokee had left the Great Lakes region countless generations before their first contact with European explorers, eventually settling around the old building sites of the ancient Mississippian culture that came before them. This puts their arrival somewhere in the late Archaic or early Woodland period, meaning that the Cherokee culture may actually predate the formation of the Roman Republic by a good 200 years. The Cherokee brought their Iroquoian language and customs with them when they set off to find better fortune in the lands of the South, and many of their old night terrors also came for the ride. The traditional belief systems of both cultures are populated by very similar mythological creatures, most notably the Iroquois legend of the man-eating giant, Stonecoat, known as Stoneclad by the Cherokee. Although the Ravenmocker doesn't make an appearance in Iroquoian legend, there was a bizarre monstrosity known as a flying head, an eccentric critter that was often associated with whirlwinds. Its anatomy consisted of a giant head, a pair of wings, and two sets of long claws that would grow from the stump of its neck. Like the Ravenmocker, it was a vampiric being that sustained itself on human flesh, taking flight under the cover of dark to feast on human prey. It's important to keep in mind that up until the colonial period, Large areas of North America were covered by a series of sprawling woodlands 
massive stretches of old-growth forest that stretched skyward to dizzying heights. Long before Europeans ever dared to set sail across a seemingly endless ocean, countless generations of indigenous people lived and perished beneath the canopies of these monolithic mega-forests. Their very existence was defined by the indifferent whims of the elements to such a degree that the numbers four and seven repeatedly occur in Cherokee myth, legend, and traditions. Four is symbolic of the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water, and the four directions of the physical world around them. Seven is representative of the seven clans of the Cherokee and is also linked with the metaphysical concepts of the lower world, the upper world, and the center, the place where all creatures exist together in a harmonious living mosaic. In a world that is completely at the mercy of Mother Nature, one of the worst misfortunes a person might possibly experience was chronic illness. Physical strength was prized for highly practical reasons. Your ability to run, jump, and wield a weapon could be a matter of life or death. Prehistoric hunters did not have the luxury of relaxing in a deer blind with a rifle cradled in their lap and a thermos of coffee by their feet. Big game was hunted with stone arrowheads and wooden spears. In times of drought or some other ecological disturbance, a hunting party might be forced to travel enormous distances in search of game. A marathon trek across difficult terrain and there would be no guarantee of success. Exhausted and far from the safety of the village fire pit, the hunting party might very well become the hunted party. The primeval forests were the prowling grounds of cougars, wolves, and a multitude of poisonous snakes. The act of warfare was also an exhausting endeavor. After the initial flurry of arrows and other projectile weapons, the battle would degenerate into a close quarters brawl, a prolonged bloodbath that was fought with war clubs and short bladed knives crafted from seashells or flint. So a native warrior's chances of walking off the battlefield in one piece directly correlated with his level of physical fitness. Even domestic work was physically taxing, a dawn to dusk test of endurance that revolved around the hauling of water, scraping animal hides, pounding grains into flour with a crude mortar and pestle, and dozens of other physically daunting tasks. In these conditions, it's no wonder that a wasting disease would be considered such a terrible fate. Not only must the afflicted suffer a relatively long and painful demise, but they had been rendered useless in the eyes of the community the tribal elders, though physically infirm, were still revered for their wisdom, as a villager who'd managed to survive to old age must surely be clever and wise. A younger member of the tribe who was suffering from a long-term illness would at the very least be deeply resented as a burden on their limited resources. In an environment where life is fleeting and your worth is measured by virtue of your ability to contribute, what could possibly be more frightening than redundancy? It's interesting to note 
that the appearance of the Ravenmocker could be interpreted to resemble that of a person who is suffering from a terminal illness. Cherokee legend describes the Ravenmocker as a hag who is thin, frail, and sickly looking, their skin hanging from their bones, and their eyes burning crimson from within the deep recesses of their sockets. This could easily be a description of someone who is dying of any number of diseases. Alternatively, you could dress this horrible specter in a hooded robe, place a sickle in its bony hand, and you'd have the traditional European image of the Grim Reaper. Another detail that bears scrutiny is the motivation behind the Ravenmocker's nocturnal attacks, which is the removal and devouring of its victim's heart. The heart is, was, and probably will always be significant to humanity at large as a symbol of courage, a symbol of spirit. Throughout the history of mankind, the consumption of a slain enemy's heart has been a common symbolic act, with reasons that vary from the possibility of gaining the fallen man's strength to an expression of pure, unadulterated contempt. In this instance, the Ravenmocker eats its victim's heart in order to absorb their remaining years and maintain a sort of artificial immortality. The Ravenmocker is not an undead spirit, but more a class of underworld creatures that the Europeans interpreted as being a witch. It may not have to abide by the laws of physics, but it's still technically a living creature, a mortal being with a finite lifespan. In an ironic twist, the deadly creature fears the end of its own life, motivated by the fear of death it takes the lives of others so that it might continue to exist. The Ravenmocker is unique in the fact that it serves double duty as being a harbinger of death and as the embodied fear of death itself. It is clear that the internment of a body that didn't possess an intact heart was considered taboo, as it is specifically mentioned as a dire consequence of a Ravenmocker attack in Cherokee mythology, the spirits of mortal men are said to remain on this plane of existence, walking unseen amongst the living. It could be speculated that burial without a heart was seen as a grim sentence to an endless purgatory, where the victim would wander through the afterlife as an incomplete and inferior version of their living self, a spirit without a spirit. In other words, a fragmented shadow, cruelly robbed of all its former courage and vitality. The prospect of eternally drifting through a land of shadows, unseen, unheard, rendered weak and impotent, would surely have been regarded as an unthinkably horrific state of affairs in the eyes of the Cherokee. Their culture was steeped in the hot-blooded ideals of pride and courage, a warlike society that had inherited the imperialistic tendencies of their Iroquois ancestors. Much like the dread of chronic illness, the aversion to burial without an intact heart seems to lie in the deeply rooted fear of diminishment, be it physical, spiritual, or in the individual's standing in the eyes of his peers. 
You see, the Raven Mocker was the worst of the worst because it was capable of taking so much more from the Cherokee than the remaining years of their lives. It could take their pride, their social standing, and ultimately seize and consume their very souls. The Ravenmocker was the most horrifying figure in Cherokee mythology for reasons that extended well beyond the primal terror of falling prey to a ravenous monster. It provides a unique insight into the fears and insecurities of a people whose culture predated that of the Romans. And yet, one question still remains. What if the Ravenmocker wasn't a myth? What if the forests and wooded areas of the American Southwest are still haunted, to this very day, by a creature that hungers to feast on your still-beating heart? When you hear the call of a raven in the gathering twilight, take slim comfort in knowing that you aren't the first to involuntarily shudder at the sound of its mournful cry. It has been eliciting that very same response for many centuries. You're certainly not the first, and you won't be the last. When the sun sinks over the horizon and the shadows lengthen to stretch over the landscape in a blanket of night, the line between fact and fiction can become blurry and indistinct. In the dark, it's easy to succumb to the madness of your deepest fears. The difficult part is finding your way back into the light. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Ravenmocker is a Native American monster straight from your nightmares. It is said to appear as a tall, lanky hag or even a raven-human hybrid. It feasts on the hearts of humans, stealing their souls to add your remaining years to its own so that it can remain immortal. But this mythological creature may be more than just myth. Otherwise, I wouldn't have these allegedly real sightings of the Ravenmocker to show you. Enjoy these scary stories, and don't forget you can share your own at darknessprevails.org. Also, if you want to know more about the Ravenmocker, check out yesterday's video. That's basically a Ravenmocker documentary. The Bird Seen in My Backyard by Magic Position This has been on my mind since I saw it Saturday night. I'll start a few months back when it was winter. I live on the Canadian West Coast. I think there was a bit of snow on the ground, and the sun had just set, so it was not completely dark out yet, but not light either. My sister and her boyfriend, as well as me and my boyfriend, were in our backyard. I think we only went outside for a moment to run around in the snow, since where we live, it's actually a rare occurrence. I know, weird coming from Canada. My sister all of a sudden freezes and says she saw something behind a tree. She then walks over to it and she sees it disappear. Freaked out, she wanted to go back inside, so we all agreed to go in with her. Inside, she told us what she saw was a large black-winged creature sitting behind a tree looking in our direction. Apparently, it was sitting with its wings down, covering its body, kind of hunched over. Then, when she drew closer, she saw it turn away from her, covering its face with its wing, so it wasn't facing her anymore. It moved further away behind the tree, and once she was close enough to see it, it was gone. None of us believed her. We all told her it was probably just a raven, or a herring, a shadow, but she was sure it was some huge creature with wings. We let it go, but she was clearly freaked out. Fast forward to this past Saturday. My boyfriend and I, my sister and her boyfriend, the same people as before, were all in my bedroom, which is the master bedroom to the house. We have these French doors that open up onto the sun deck and look out into our backyard. We were just about to light up some hay when my boyfriend opens the door to the sun deck and looks up past our backyard to see this massive bird leave a branch in a tree. He audibly said, holy crap, that eagle is huge. I looked up just in time to see it leave the branch and fly for about two seconds before it disappeared behind the row of trees. It was larger than an eagle for sure. It wasn't in a tree in our backyard, 
we have this embankment that goes up to these apartments that are next to us, and the tree we saw the thing fly off of was up there, so it wasn't exactly clear, but we have eagles around us often. That being said, I've never seen one that size. It looked like its wingspan was 14 feet long almost. It was completely black. My sister and her boyfriend just missed it, but they saw the tree branch it came from still bouncing up and down from it jumping off. I said it looked like a human with wings, and my sister freaked out, quickly reminding us of the time she saw that thing in the backyard. All of us except her had forgotten about it until she told us again. Now I actually believe her. My boyfriend said it looked like a person with wings too, but he doesn't believe in stuff like that. Plus, on top of this, we had a dog who passed away in January. Rest in peace, Juno. We love you. But she would sleep on the sun deck if it was warm enough for her, and often we could hear her growling at something in the backyard and pacing back and forth. Could have been a deer in the backyard or a raccoon, but my dog was uninterested in deer, and raccoons used to come on our back deck all the time, and we would hear them, but when she growled like that, it was different. Smoky Mountain Ravenmocker by Bill My father and I have been hiking for years in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina and Tennessee, but one incident has caused us to never be out after dark, not in those mountains ever again. We went on a fishing trip in what was one of the most remote areas of the park, the Upper Raven Fork of the Yoconalufti River above Cherokee, North Carolina. The trip went according to plan until we couldn't find the unmarked trail to where we were fishing. So we took off through the ivy, mountain slaying for mountain laurel, and it was so thick, we were walking sometimes 10 feet off the ground. After an hour of this, we finally emerged on the riverbank. We went up the stream, fishing along the way, and finally reached what is called Three Forks, where we spent an hour or two fishing and having lunch. At two o'clock, we left the Three Forks and made our way up the right fork of the stream, instead of going back through the ivy. Bad idea. An hour in and we hadn't traveled a quarter of a mile. We encountered a bear cub and her mother along the way, but that was only the beginning. We ran upon a cave beside the stream and decided to take a break inside its rather deep mouth. That's when, from upstream from us, we heard a raven's cry, but it was wrong, so wrong. It almost had a human-like cackle in its voice something that sent more than chills up my already wary spine. We were already lost in the middle of nowhere. I looked at my dad and whispered, What on earth was that? He replied shakily, Just a raven, a very loud raven. We soon left the cave and continued upstream. Again, a bad idea. About another quarter mile up, we decided to just make our way to the ridgetop through a world of ivy thickets, more akin to the underworld than earth. About halfway up the mountain, we again heard that strange raven, but something else struck me as odd. 
It was on the opposing ridge on the ground, not on a branch, not in the air. We booked our tired selves out of those woods as quick as we could. When we reached the park trail, there were still four miles to go, and that raven thing was still behind us, apparently just out of sight. We finally got about half a mile from the car when I finally picked out what was making the noises. It, it was a person, maybe. It didn't have the head of a raven, exactly. More like it was wearing a giant one, and it had wings in place of its arms. I screamed, run, to my dad, who, though he hadn't seen it, was already on edge enough to listen right away. We took off, just slow enough not to go falling off the mountain, and every time I looked back, that raven human thing was a little bit closer. When we finally got to the car, we both climbed in through the driver's side, backpack still on, and took off down the road. By then, it was pitch blackout. Whatever was chasing us now was keeping pace with us, floating along with us down the dirt road. After ten minutes of chase, we were almost back to civilization, but it finally made its move. The thing landed on our hood. My dad slammed on the brakes, and we stared for a moment at the thing as it stared back at us. Then it flew away, screeching that awful noise through the night. Then we sped on home, worried that that thing might find us again. When I told my great uncle about this, he instantly knew what it was. He told me we were lucky to escape because apparently that was the Raven Mocker. Demonic Raven by Silent Eyes I have a very well-aged grandpa who's 96. He has told me countless stories about an evil being that takes the form of old people and scratches the hearts of the dying and sick. I thought that that was all made up. I thought my grandpa Antonio was just a crazy old man out of his mind. One of his stories in particular caught my attention. He said that when he was a young boy, he was often very sick. He had walking anomia. But my grandpa was an adventurer. He never really liked staying inside because, well, in my grandpa's time, there weren't smartphones or games or things like that. He grew up on the land that his dad had bought. Great-grandpa and grandma had split up and went their separate ways. My grandpa continued to live with his dad, and they shared the land with a particularly big oak forest. My grandpa had one neighbor, and that was soon to be my grandma. Although my grandma's mom was very ill, she was suffering from depression, and she suffered from asthma as well. It's kind of common to hear ravens and crows where we're at as well. But what my grandpa said next was something else entirely. My grandpa said he was building a stick fort with my grandma deep in the woods when he heard a crow of a bird. A raven. It was loud and sounded like a dinosaur from what he described it. He looked at my grandma with a confused expression. Then they continued to finish the little roof of the stick fort. A few hours later, the two of them were still playing in the woods. 
They were just beginning to leave when they heard the sound again, but this time it was much closer. It sounded like a few dozen yards away. When the sound squealed out through the woods again, it was later followed by a scream that sounded like that of a man, and they knew that voice well. My grandma's dad. She heard him screaming and crying. Then the two of them took off into the direction of her house. My grandpa, being the lovebird he was, wanted to look after her. Wait, he called to my grandma as he was jumping over bushes and tripping over rocks, but my grandma did not slow down. She sped up. By the time grandpa and grandma reached the house, there were police all over. As the two of them got close to the house, grandpa said what he saw next will haunt him for the rest of his days. My grandma's mother had took a razor blade to herself. The police were checking for a pulse, but when they came across her heart, her chest sank right where her heart used to be. After that, they took her away in a hurry so that her daughter did not have to see the situation. But it was too late. My grandma still suffers from that image in her head, even to this day. What my grandma could never get over, though, was the fact that when they kept in contact with the police and the morgue, they could find no trace of her heart. What it reminded my grandpa of, and this is just how he described it, it was like if you push your thumb in an old plum and your thumb just sinks into it. That's how it appeared to do when the police checked her chest, which was nothing more than a soft spot. My grandpa's story has forever scared me, but I've also encountered what I think this was myself. My story isn't as scary as my grandpa's, thank God, but it still spooked me something fierce. I was walking home from a friend's house. There were four other people around me. There was a person on a bike passing by, a very old woman stumbling around on her walker, a man passing by in his car, and an older man that looked to be 70. I suddenly get a text from my friend and my phone goes off. I unlock it. It's a text saying that I had forgotten my PS4 controller at his house. I replied, I'll come by and get it tomorrow. It's already getting dark. As soon as I lock my phone again, I hear this loud cluck from a bird. At first, I thought it was some weird sound from my phone, but it didn't match any of my ringtones. I looked around to see that the old man and old woman had completely vanished. I was only on my phone for nine seconds, and they disappeared without a trace. How the heck did that happen? I mean, sure, there are woods right next to the sidewalk, but I doubt they would have been going into the woods at their age. My phone goes off again, and this time it's a text from my mom. Come home now, she says. I look at the time and it's 8.40. I was supposed to be home 20 minutes ago. I ignore the odd situation I was in, and I begin to run home. I eventually come upon my house and open the door, just ready to hear it from my mom. Instead, she walks up and hugs me tightly. I'm confused. Mom, are you okay? It's not my birthday, I said. She loosens her grip 
and makes me sit down on a couch in front of the TV. My mom is watching the news, which is very unlike her. She's tearing up, and I focus on the words plastered across the screen. Man found in the woods, cause of passing unknown. I sit there, paranoid and a little bit freaked out. Then the most unspeakable thing happens. The live news reporter walks up to an old lady stumbling with her walker. The same woman I had just walked past an hour ago. The man introduces himself and says that he's here with such and such, the old woman's name, who apparently agreed to be on camera. It then shows her, and all I can really make out from the way she was speaking was Kalanu Akialiski. She said it several times. Kalanu Akialiski. You could tell the interviewer wasn't having it, thinking the old woman was out of her mind or was just trying to mess with them. But I kept wondering, what in the world did that mean? A few weeks later, Dad told me that when they opened up the old man, there were no signs of any broken bones or anything like that, but there was no heart. And I would later find out that Kalanu Akialiski meant Ravenmocker. Ravenmocker by Taylor. I've been unsure of where to go to tell others about this. My grandfather recently passed away, and the night he did, the strangest thing happened. I'm from the Appalachian part of Virginia, and my family are of both Cherokee and Navajo heritage. Stories of creatures in the woods are not uncommon to me. I've heard everything there is about stories, and my family takes it all very seriously. And for everything native, I would highly recommend it be taken seriously. Because what my grandmother and I experienced alone that night will haunt me forever. We live in the woods, not too far out from our neighbors, but the town is quite literally in the middle of nowhere. It's about five minutes of a drive to get to any neighbor's house for my grandmother's, and everyone there knows each other. I tend to enjoy being out at my grandma's place because I'm very introverted and loved being with her and my grandfather. But my grandfather was becoming sick and his time was nearing. So I wanted to spend every second I could at his house before he passed, making sure to do whatever was needed around the house and the surrounding land. A few nights had passed and as it was summer, I didn't have a job so there was no need for me to be anywhere but there. I just texted my parents to let them know I was doing fine every once in a while, since they couldn't drive the hour and a half to get to the house because of work. So it would be just my grandmother and I for a couple of days, taking care of my grandpa. However, when dawn fell, he became extraordinarily sick, and my grandmother, who was a nurse, took care of him. I was on the couch in the living room, playing guitar, trying to write music, when suddenly I heard what sounded like something flying over the house. My first thought was maybe there was a helicopter flying over, because people got lost in the woods often, and search and rescue missions were very common. But this wasn't a helicopter, it sounded more like a bird, a huge bird at that, 
flying right over the house in circles, like it was signaling its next meal. I immediately ran to tell my grandmother, who said it may have just been a helicopter as well. So I did what any confused teenager from the woods would do. I grabbed my 30-06 and went outside. When I looked up, I didn't see a thing. There were no lights and it was a cloudy night, so it was just pitch black. I could still hear it flying in the air. Then it stopped out in the distance. At that moment, I heard what I can only describe as a scream or screech of pure evil. At that moment, I froze. I had never heard anything like it, and for at least two seconds, everything was silent. The middle of the woods, next to a pond, always sounding with creatures, and I couldn't hear a thing except my grandmother opening the front door and yelling for me to get inside. Now, I may be someone who would want to say that I'm big and bad, but that was the fastest I ran back in the house. My grandmother, now crying, immediately told me to say goodnight to Pa and run downstairs. I tried to tell her no, but there was a look in her eyes that said not to. So I greeted my grandfather, who was barely alive at that point, and I told him goodnight, that I loved him. I hugged him tightly, then ran downstairs. I sat down for two minutes when I heard the sound of my grandmother coming downstairs. She came into the room and held me tightly. Then she spoke softly. He's gone. She said we needed to stay down there for the night in her medicine room. She said a short Cherokee prayer, and we went to bed. When I woke up the next morning, we buried my grandfather. My grandmother told me then what a raven mocker was. She said that according to legend, when they consume a victim's heart, they take however many years left that person had to live as their own. She then said that Pa had cheated them because he was ready to go before they even had arrived. We are mourning over his loss, but we have told our fellow Cherokee of the incident and informed the medicine men to keep watch. Old Family Tale of the Raven Mocker by Mick J13. I am Native American, half Cherokee and part Creek, also known as Muscogee, Shawnee, and Kickapoo. My mom is a full-blood Cherokee, and my dad told me he was a mix of Muscogee, Shawnee, and Kickapoo himself. Cherokee language is syllables and not words, just in case a couple of these words sound strange to you. Now, my grandpa Thomas, whom I miss deeply and who helped raise me, used to tell me stories while he sat and smoked his tobacco in his corncob pipe. One afternoon, we sat down, and he told me of my great-grandpa Sunhawk, who had practiced medicine in his time and was well-respected amongst the people who came to him for help. This was his encounter with a Kalanu Okeliski, or in English, a raven mocker. It was in the late 1800s, mid-fall, and Sunhawk was summoned to treat a man who was near death 
and kept begging his family to save him from the man outside his window. He told them he needed to be protected. He didn't want his heart stolen. His family knew of the old legends and knew what was going on. They then sent the eldest son on horseback to retrieve Sunhawk. Sunhawk and the boy I'll call Junaluska was an hour away from the boy's home. Sunhawk told Junaluska to not be afraid and to pray for protection from the creator as they strode through the cool of the evening. Suddenly, Sunhawk's eyes had fallen upon a fire-like apparition of a bird flying through the trees to the side of them. Sunhawk kept his eyes on the creature till it flew into the path in front of them, flames covering the trees as it passed, screeching a terrible sound similar to that of a raven as it disappeared toward the boy's home. The young boy asked Sunhawk why he looked up like that, having not seen the creature himself, as my family tells me Sunhawk had a connection to the spirit world. He explained to the boy that his dad had a raven mocker trying to steal his life. The boy couldn't see what he had seen, and he knew this being was of pure evil, so they rode faster, hoping to make it in time to save Junaluska's dad. They were a few miles away from the home when another screech and fast, heavy winds swooped in. Sunhawk started beating on his drums, singing a song of protection against the Ravenmocker, praising the creator for his love of man and woman. The creature disappeared after following them a long way until the house came into view and another horrid screech sounded around the house that caught Sunhawk's attention to there being two of these demons trying to get more life to live on through the years. Sunhawk prayed, saying while smoking cedar, before he entered the home, then asked the family if he could bless the house to relieve it of the evil going on. The man lay on the bed crying and had been getting lacerations on his head. The family saw them appear out of nowhere, as if something unseen were attacking him. When Sunhawk was done with the blessing, he came into the man's room. There, Sunhawk saw it. Another of the creatures, which looked right at him and screeched so loud that everyone heard it, covering their ears in panic. It flew in its fiery shape through the window and vanished. The old man lay sweating with a fever. He had asked Sunhawk to help heal him and to get rid of these demons once and for all. Sunhawk explained, upon seeing these evil spirits, they would only have a week to live, because he cursed them upon seeing them. The man managed to live a few more years, until a posse of outlaws brave enough to ride through Indian territory killed him and his family, burning their home to the ground. My grandpa Thomas always told me when you speak about them with another person, it's like telling one of the raven mockers to come and get you. The night Sunhawk died, he told everyone to leave the room so he could have a moment alone to pray for his passing to go smoothly. As my grandpa closed the door, big winds busted the window open and Sunhawk screamed. The door had been barricaded by the shelf that fell over my grandpa caught a glimpse from the crack that showed the wall opposite of Sunhawk's bed. He saw an old man holding something close to his mouth, 
and realized blood was dripping down. He screamed, and the screech and winds came back, and the door finally opened. The lifeless body of Sunhawk lay in the bed. When the death certificate came after the autopsy, perplexingly, it showed that he was missing his heart. There were no scars or open fresh cuts, not before they opened him up anyways. I still believe to this day that they exist, the Ravenmocker, along with the other beings that the Native Americans encountered. There are things that will get you out there, things that go bump in the night, feed off of you. So watch out. That withering old woman or beaten down old man strolling past you on the street at night could just be the one waiting to torture your soul out of you to take your heart and eat it with no markings left on your body. It Lurks in Her Basement by Grayson This happened in April of 2016. I had been staying with my now ex-girlfriend, who we'll call Emma. Emma and I were no strangers to anything paranormal or monstrous, and this wasn't the first or last time we had encountered something of the like. Now, before I move on, I should describe the basement, as it is important. The basement in Emma's townhouse was very small, and it was where her bedroom was. It was roughly 28 feet long, and was shaped almost like a blocky letter Z with the bedroom in the section under the stairs, and a smaller area with an art desk on the latter end. Emma's bed was located under the stairs and was very tiny. The room itself was seven feet, both in length and width, being sectioned off only by two thick curtains rather than a door. When I arrived that Friday, I greeted her and noted how she seemed to be feeling much better as she had a gum graft two weeks prior. Throughout my stay, nothing unusual had happened until Saturday night. That's when I got a random feeling of unease. I brushed it off, and we went on with our night, watching movies on her bed and chatting about our friends. The following morning, I woke up at 9am, which was very unusual as we had stayed up very late, and I used to sleep like a rock back then. As I lay in the bed, I wondered why I had woke up. Emma was still asleep, and if I had been woken up from any sound, she should be awake too, as she slept much lighter than I did. I rolled onto my side, looking out towards the curtains on the other side of the cramped room. That's when I saw what woke me up. Tall and slender, in the far corner of the room wedged between the dresser and curtain, stood a creature so large that its neck had to be lowered for it to fit beneath the ceiling. It was black. It appeared to have some sort of cloak on and had a long dark beak with a slight curve with dull white eyes above it. I lay there, motionless and confused at what I was seeing. I blinked and the creature remained, staring at the wall across from it. Cautiously, I sat up as quietly as possible to try and get a better look at what I was seeing, what I didn't want to see. As I propped myself up on one arm, the thing slowly turned its head to face me 
moving its body only after it had settled its cold, lifeless gaze upon me. It seemed as if this terrible creature's body was sucking up every last bit of light, sound, and energy in the room, and I felt as if I was being judged by it. Mustering up my will to move, I tore out of the basement and ran upstairs. For the remainder of the day, I spent my time upstairs with her mother, leaving for home only after she had woken up some five hours later. I had called her later that night via Skype and asked if she had seen something in her room, something like what I'd seen earlier that day. Her facial expression soured into one of fear and confusion. How would you know about that? She asked. And before I could answer, she told me what she used to see. That thing. It, it used to follow me around my old house before we moved. I was confused and scared at the same time. I had no idea what this demonic bird-like creature was. A while after, Emma moved to a house that was a bit closer to mine, and whilst renovating it, she and her family had found that a small room in the basement seemed to be full of negative energy. Slowly, Weird things began to happen, and that entity would appear in her new home as well. It still emanates a dark feeling, and her dogs bark and whine at the creature whenever it appears. I don't know why it follows her, or why it just stares, but I think it may be something called the Ravenmocker, based on its appearance. All I can do is pray that it doesn't decide to do something more than simply watch her. Three Encounters with the Ravenmocker by Aaron E. I have several stories centered around my run-ins with a witch that our folks called a Ravenmocker. There isn't much information on them, but I know they are usually invisible, and I've been told they can take many other forms. Number one. Me and my oldest cousin, Tristan, had decided to go outside after everyone else had gone to bed one night. We were out at the shed talking and smoking a cigarette when I heard my grandmother calling my name. I freaked out because I thought we were busted. I got even more freaked out because it sounded like it came from behind the shed and we knew she was in the house, which was in front of us. Now, my cousin is quite the hillbilly from up around Black Mountain, and he was really into instigating things. I am of Native American heritage, and I was raised around old Indian folk. I always believed there were things that you should fear and respect, but most importantly, fear. So anyway, he wants to check it out. Peer pressure is a heck of a thing, so I agreed to go outside and look with him. We walked out toward the tree line, and out of nowhere, I hear one of my other cousins calling me from ahead of us in a thick patch of cane on the swampy side of the woods. That particular cousin, Dakota, was in the house passed out on the couch at the time. Then my dad called me, followed shortly by my aunt, both of whom had gone home hours before this. Whoever or whatever is doing this has mimicked almost my entire family at this point. So we're creeping up to that patch of cane, 
and we stop about five feet away from the tree line. There's a tree just behind the bushes, and up about 15 feet, there's a branch. Suddenly, that branch starts shaking, and I hear the leaves rustling. When I looked up, I saw something falling from the branch. It looked like a giant bird, but I didn't really get a good look at it. As soon as it landed, it sounded like something started running at us, head on through the bushes. If I had not experienced these events that happened up to this point, I'd have thought a bear was charging toward us. It was the only logical answer. If you looked across the top of the cane, you could see the taller ones parting. This thing was big, fast, bipedal, and really heavy. It looked like it was going to make one heck of an entrance with the sound to match. I can only describe the noise as sounding like a man that weighed as much as a small horse, running at full sprint. Then, right before it got to the edge, it just stopped. We were too shaken up to even move, so we simply stood there. When I finally regained mobility, I walked backwards all the way to the house. I didn't take my eyes off that tree line once, though. We got inside, and as soon as we closed the door, something hit it. Tristan opened it up to look, and there was nothing there, so we closed it and locked it. We turned and began to walk away, and it happened again, harder this time. We looked at each other and went straight to the living room. We sat there in darkness and did not move or say a word until the sun came up. Number 2 the second story happened at my house in my backyard. My buddy Fernando was staying over that night. Fernando and I had set up a tent and were planning on staying outside for the night. We were in the house getting something to drink and I started to head back outside while Fernando was still playing around in the fridge. So we had this really weird cat at the time that would just show up out of nowhere. It would show up and creep around the edge of the woods, just watching me all the time. Sometimes he would glare at me at night, while literally peeking out from behind a tree. All you would see was a cat-shaped black outline with two eyes that glowed a bluish-green color when the light hit them. It was unnerving, to say the least. Occasionally, it would make these really unusual sounds that were kind of cat-like and not very cat-like at the same time almost like it was mixing another animal's noises with it. It only did the weird noises at night, too. Now, we had a lot of cats that hung around the place, but only this one made noises like that. The other cats even seemed to be a little scared of him sometimes. They would avoid him, and some even left entirely after he showed up. Anyway, this particular night... I walked out the back door and he was sitting in the middle of my backyard. He was glaring at me as usual, so I took off in a full-on sprint chasing him out of the yard, past the line of tall bushes that blocks out all porch light. He ran into the woods and I don't recall ever seeing him again after that. I turned to start to walk back and immediately felt a kind of heavy wind blowing over me. Then I heard the unmistakable sound of a cougar, and it sounded angry. It couldn't have been more than five feet behind me either. I made a good 30-yard dash to the back door in about two seconds. Fernando was on his way out at the time, 
and had seen the whole event from the window in the back door. Fernando pushed the door open and I ran inside. His eyes were dang near big enough to use for dinner plates. Mine were probably just as big. He said something along the lines of, Did you see that? And I replied with, No, but I heard it. He said that there was an older looking man with glowing red eyes standing right behind me and that he had nearly grabbed me. We just left the tent out there where it was and decided to sleep in the house that night. Three. This next story also happened in my backyard, but at the other end of the tall bushes that cut through it. My dog was chained up to a tree that stood maybe 20 feet in front of this old barn behind the house. This old barn is where we store the tractor. It's pretty much just an unfinished shack. It has three rooms and only one has walls, mostly just plywood. The other two are pretty much just a tin roof and some two-by-fours that hold it up. This barn is on the other side of those bushes where the porch light stops. So I'm pacing back and forth lengthwise of the dog runner and talking to the creator, occasionally stopping to pet my dog. I know, weird, but that's how I pray. I pace a lot at night during the summer, especially in the few days leading up to, during, and after the full moon. My neighbors probably think I'm a werewolf. Anyway, I'm doing my normal pacing ritual, and I start to get this really weird feeling like I'm being watched. I immediately turned in the general direction of where I thought it was coming from. My dog made it clear that it wasn't just my imagination when she even perked up and started staring in the same direction. She started alternating between deep growls and a deep hushed bark. The hair down her back was standing straight up. Now that line of bushes blocks all the porch light as I said before, and in the summer the trees back there are so thick that even the brightest full moon will not light up the tree line. Plus, the tin roof blocked out any light that did get passed through the trees, so it was near pitch black under the shelter. I made the mistake of saying, I know you're there. Show yourself, just as a joke. I don't even know to who. I guess I was just pretending. But what happened was not pretend. Instantly, this unseeable thing begins to attack us, me mostly. The dog begins to pull away, whimpering, trying to yank her head out of the collar. And my entire body is tensed up with this electrical energy in the air. A horrible smell that I can only describe as death starts floating around. I felt paralyzed and sick to my stomach. It only seemed to get worse. Whatever it was seemed to be focusing solely on hurting me. My chest began to feel like someone had set my insides on fire and started to dig around inside me with a fork. I couldn't even run. Eventually, I blacked out or went into some kind of trance or something. When I came to, I was just standing there, still staring in that direction, standing in the same spot. My entire body was sore and I felt sick. I unhooked the dog and we walked back inside. My head nearly twisted backwards on my shoulders 
as I made sure that nothing was sneaking up on me. That night, I could not sleep, and I did not get out of bed for nearly two whole days, just closing my eyes and wishing I could have the comfort of rest. I was sick as a dog, and it felt like I had been poisoned. It took almost a week to recover completely, and after that, you could not pay me to go near those woods at night. Heck, I wouldn't even go back there in broad daylight for months after. My Father's Fall by Jerry Larry My father passed away in 2015. My family has deep Cherokee heritage with a bloodline we have traced back over 300 years. Despite being a part of such a rich culture, the strange things my father said to us before he died of a heart attack haunt me to this day. Stranger yet, my father was basically healthy as a horse before 2015, had never smoked or even drank in his life, and had even been told by the doctor at several checkups that his heart was working perfectly. The strange talk started in February, that fateful year. That was when he started waking up in the middle of the night, clutching his chest. I found him early in the morning at about 2 a.m. when I was going to get a glass of water. He grabbed me by the shirt from seemingly nowhere, asking me if I ever spoke to the bird. I'd never been so weirded out before, and when it comes from someone like your own father, it becomes something deeply troubling. Another notable occasion was that March, when he was basically living at the hospital, hooked up to tubes and heart monitoring devices. I caught something he had whispered to my aunt. He had said, It's twisting my chest. Talons. I remember having a nightmare after hearing that one. Then, just a few weeks after that, before he was gone, my father said one last ominous thing. This one was for my mother. Laura, he said, calling my mother over. Why don't you see it? Why don't you even try to stop it? It's squeezing my chest. It's killing me. I'll never forget those bizarre and terrifying things he said. And until I heard you bringing up the topic of the Ravenmocker, I never would have imagined that a boogeyman from my own culture would perfectly fit what may have happened to my dad. Ah, it finally feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders now that I've finally read some Ravenmocker stories, and they were really good. And now that I think about it, what if that weight wasn't stress? What if it was an unseen entity reaching inside me and squeezing my heart? Guys, if you don't hear back from me soon, I may have just had a heart attack. Or I fell off the couch again and couldn't reach my Funyuns. Either way, good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget, you can send me your stories anytime at darknessprevails.org. If you want to support my channel, go to patreon.com slash darknessprevails. If you donate any amount, for as long as you do donate, you'll be able to download my episodes as MP3s ad-free. 
and you'll get your name in the credits at the end of the videos. Or you can click that shop button below or go to teespring.com stores slash darkness prevails to get some of my creepy cool merch. This brings us to my five favorite early comments from the previous full episode on 10 true Halloween horror stories. Pompey221 says, nothing goes better with Halloween than a little darkness and candy. Lots and lots of candy. You're telling me, Pompey, I've got a couple of big old pumpkin-shaped Snickers that I'm about to swallow down. Swallow. Gina Grigo says, when's your birthday? Mine's the 25th. October 23rd, my friend. October is the best month to be born. And considering how many October birthdays there are, I think people need to calm down on Valentine's Day. Jeez, people. Irish Mud says, Epping shake the stick. I am, but they're still coming. Thorn says, Who else is gonna be alone on Halloween? Maybe Halloween is the best month to be alone. That way you can be sure there's no creeper in the closet, flapping his junk around as he looks at you. <sighs> I had that problem once. And Zyna Aries says, Yes, I'm road tripping back to Texas on me and this is perfect for my drive. Hey, I hope you enjoyed it. Nothing's better than scary stories and a long drive. I personally just got back from shipping some boxes over to our new place, and my wife and I spent the hour-long drive listening to the No Sleep Podcast, which I highly recommend. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another Darkness Prevails episode. More scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Here are the credits to my beautiful, beautiful patrons. Stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange.